0: Welcome to the Fantasy Ace Ball Podcast. This is your host, Tim Kanak. You can find me on X at Fantasy Aceball. And today, we have World Super Earth Champion, Raymond Atherton. At Raymond Atherton, how does it feel to win a national championship?
1: Uh, kind of surreal. Like, this has never happened in my lifetime. Um, the Tigers got close, but it was never really close like you thought it would could happen, you know. They were whooped pretty handedly in those World Series, so yeah, to be that dominant all season was man, it was fun. Immediately you... bought, immediately bought swag last night.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I was wondering. Are you already, like, on to the – are you still just, like, basking in the win? Or are you already on to, like, the whole – there's already been – I mean, like, even yesterday before the game, everyone is like, oh, Harbaugh's going to go to the Chargers. Is that is that bothering you at all? Or do you just not even care at this point?
1: <laughs> so, people have been saying he's going to leave for, like, six years. And he had that interview with the Vikings or whatever, but – Until he gives some indication that he wants to leave, I'm not sweating it. Like, he can if he wants. I won't hold it against him. Like, he deserves it if he wants to go. But until he, like, everyone is always speculating that he's going to leave. But, like, none of them ever say it comes from him. It's all like, oh, Harbaugh could leave. Sources say Harbaugh might have interest. Like, no, like, until it comes from him, I don't buy it. He's such a goofy guy, too.
0: Where did he even coach in the NFL? I can't even remember. Because it's been like 10 years.
1: San Francisco.
0: Oh, and they were good even when he was there, weren't they? Wasn't Kaepernick there at that time?
1: Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I say, like, he's not too eager to go back. Because he went to three straight NFC Championship games, won Super Bowl, didn't win it. And then, like, got ran out of town. So, like, he had the most success you can have without winning a Super Bowl. And they ran him out of town for it. So, I think Michigan's like his dream job, but like I said, if he wants to leave, I won't hold him against him, but no, I don't think he's
0: leaving. I think one of the things too, with his personality, he's the type of guy that wants to be like the Uh man, you know what I mean? And the NFL, everyone's ego is so much larger. Like in college, he can just dominate and be like, I am Michigan basically. But then like in the NFL, that doesn't happen because the quarterbacks overshadow the coach and, Unless you're like Bill Belichick, and even then, you know. But yeah, you're, you're in the NFL. The players get a lot more of the attention, whereas college, like the college coaches, become the program. They like get like melded into the actual college. Like when you think Alabama, you think Nick Saban. You know, it's like automatic. So let's get into some baseball. I was um, gonna say that's
1: enough football. These yeah. Thank-
0: <laughs> Thankfully, dude, you made some notes. i'm appreciative of them and it helps so i'll let you kind of walk through some of these signings and trades then instead of me leading take the take the lead lead the ball i feel
1: i feel kind of uh, bombarded sometimes when we don't have notes so yeah yeah i had some extra time today i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna type these up yeah so the big one the dodgers the rich get richer dodgers signed Teoscar Hernandez to a 1 year 23.5 million dollar deal. I saw a lot of that money is deferred. People are pissed about that. Um, 2023 stats, he played in 160 games. You love that. Triple slash line 258 305 435 740 RPS 740 OPS. 26 home runs, 93 RBIs. Yeah, dude. Um, that's a
0: lot of money for Teoscar. Right now he's just banking that the Dodgers lineup is going to inflate his stats so he can get a long-term deal next year. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's exactly saw, what he, and he's making bank this year. That's exactly what he's doing though.
1: Yeah, I saw a tweet that said the he took a one-year deal because of the loaded corner infield market or outfield market and I'm like are we looking at the same market? Like
0: I yeah, don't I don't <laughs> think it's all that overwhelming. No, it's not good. What happened was he I feel like he had kind of a down year last year. It was okay, but like OBP, why is 305 OBP is pretty bad? He had kind of a down year last year and he's just hoping that he's going to, because he probably had a few, year, a few offers that were like three or four year deals. I think he's going to just hope that he like really just blows away the numbers as far as like RBI. Like he could have like a, I think I heard it on the CBS podcast. Like they were like, oh, JD Martinez had like an RBI per game. So, or something like that. So Almost, yeah. G- yeah, so if if Teoscar could do that or something like that over 140 150 games, then he's going to get a six or seven, you know, someone's going to give him a six year deal or something next year. So He's already 31 instead of like a three year.
1: Yeah. I don't know. The Dodgers desperately needed a right-handed hitter, but like he's getting older. I don't know. I think the the average is coming down and he's selling out for power a little bit, but I don't know, it makes sense. They probably overpaid, but they don't give a shit, obviously. <laughs> Especially when um, you can just defer it all. <laughs> and like he's batting seventh, according to Russ Resource. So he's batting at the bottom of the, you know, their studs. The thing I thought was weird, they had him batting behind uh the rookie, Hulu, James Outman. Yeah, I thought that was strange. I wouldn't be surprised if that's flipped in real life, but yeah, yeah. His current ADP is 113. I bet that goes up. Uh, The Dodgers are like the second best place for right-handed hitters to hit home runs, so that's kind
0: of exciting. Yeah, we'll see when I do my F scores for him where he ends up. I've got him like I don't know. I've got him around like 40 or something right now. I want to say. Do, do, yeah. do, if you give me two seconds, I've got him at 37. So I'm you're already behind.
1: You're yeah. already behind the yeah. consensus.
0: I probably won't be getting shares. <laughs> um, and then you have here Manaya, two years, 28 million with the Mets. That seems to me even pretty high because Manaya spent half the year last year as a reliever. And Jesus. then, like, I see people posting on X. They're like, Minaya in the second half had a 3-3 ERA, blah, blah, blah. Look how good he was. And it's just, well, that's because in the second half, he only started like four games. The rest of the time, he was a relief pitcher. So, of course, he's going to play better out of the bullpen. Anyone does. Every starter that gets moved to the pen, their stuff's going to play up, as long as they're a starter with good stuff. Like, probably if you move like Wade Miley to the bullpen, he wouldn't be very good because his stuff's not that good. But any, any starter that has... Two good pitches and bad command. When you move them in the pen, they're going to be much better.
1: Yeah, I don't think, I don't think he matters much for fantasy. Maybe a streamer to start week, maybe. But my note here is that he might get drafted in the the deepest league we're in.
0: Yeah, probably ace ball. He'll get he'll get drafted fantasy ace ball as like a one or two dollar guy or something like that. Probably.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know. It just seems like the Mets are throwing. I don't think we should pay much attention to how much money Mets players get because Steve Cohen doesn't give a shit.
0: Well, someone's got to keep up with the Dodgers. <laughs> but it, yeah. At least he's not deferring at all. Makes <laughs> the Flaherty
1: around. signing look a little bit better. He got $14
0: million. I'd rather have him deny that than, than That's
1: Flaherty. That's
0: crazy. You're, just, so, you're so over it. Dude, yeah, I am. I just, it's his. not even his stuff. It's not even him, it, like his numbers. It's just his personality. <laughs> his personality. <laughs> yeah. You can uh, talk,
1: yeah. Yeah, I I don't, let's move on. He, I don't think
0: it matters. Yeah, you, I mean, you'll, see, you'll see. You'll see. He's just a big baby. Luke <laughs> uh, Rayleigh traded to the Mariners on his honeymoon. I didn't know that, dude. That was on, that happened on his honeymoon.
1: Yeah, so I was just scrolling. Um... He had he was on an interview and said they were in a pool playing volleyball with his wife, and like they got done. He's like, I just won MVP, and I look at my phone, and I had like twenty five texts and forty missed calls. It's like, oh, <laughs> Oops, call.
0: yeah. <laughs> oh no, another spam call. <laughs> oh Raymond, you're getting rocked right now. So. I'll read through some of these while Raymond's trying to figure out his phone. Martín Maldonado signed with the White Sox, backup catcher. I'm sure maybe he starts. I don't know. Uh, like, who do the White Sox have? They've got like Corey Lee, so Maldonado, Maldonado probably will actually start. Uh, Dakota Hudson traded to the to or sorry, Dakota Hudson signed with the Rockies, which is probably the best case scenario for him as a ground ball guy. <clears throat> Cardinals and Rays made a trade. The Rays acquired Richie Palacios, who's actually a pretty solid hitter last year for the Cardinals Down in the last month of the season. And he's supposed to have a strong side platoon role right now for the Rays. You know the Rays and their platoons. And then the Cardinals got Andrew Kittredge, who will probably be back of the bullpen guy. If Helsley gets hurt or is tired, then Kittredge can fit right in. Um, I see the Cardinals not giving Gallego saves next year because he was so terrible in the ninth last year when he was really good in the eighth. So I think when and when you have the days that Helsley can't pitch, it might be Kittredge that comes in for the save rather than Gallegos um, for 2024. And then there's this strange Robbie Ray trade to the Giants for Hanager and Discofani. Like, What do you think about that trade, Raymond?
1: I think the Mariners were just dumping salary, to be honest. And I think they're one of the few teams in baseball who can afford to sign a 30-something-year-old former Cy Young winner who was really good recently. So, yeah, I mean, they they kind of fixed a couple holes on their roster with they got their sixth man in the rotation swing guy and got a – I don't know. I don't know if Mitch Hanegar is very good, but got an outfielder they can play
0: every day. And he was a fan favorite when he was there, so – yeah, I think it's a good trade for both sides. Giants are going to make Ray good. He'll probably have, have a good second half next year. And then uh, it's like Carlos Rodon 2.0 or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. And then uh, for the Mariners, you've got Hanager back in the locker room. I think they maybe missed that presence in the locker room last year. And then mm-hmm. Harrison Bader signed a one-year, $10.5 million deal with the Mets, which is going to be good for Mets pitching. So, I mean, for like, hitting Bader, you're probably not going to own him in most leagues unless you're in a 15, 20 team league and you need some steals or whatever. But yeah, steals is about Mets, it. Yeah, but for Mets pitching, that's going to help them because he's probably the best defensive outfielder in baseball with him and like Kevin Kiermaier like the top guys. So, I would say like that just makes Senga even better because I don't even know what other Mets pitchers you really want next year, but that might boost Senga a little bit. Um, a few other quick notes here. White Sox talking about Cease. Apparently, they're not getting good enough offers according to their, what they want for them. So we'll see if Cease moves or if they hold them to the deadline. There's going to be a point in the next month or so when people start reporting for, like, pitchers and catchers start reporting where just trades aren't going to happen anymore. And I don't know, like, like what, do you, what, what would you say that point is, Raymond? Like, February 1st? Like, we don't really see trades after February 1st, I feel like. if Cease is going to move. There's going to be yeah. some point where they're just like, "Yeah, not going to happen anymore." I think. When yeah, there's definitely like a lull.
1: I don't know. You you see like the bottom of the roster guys move, but yeah, there's really not superstars that get traded. Once teams start reporting and getting ready for the season, usually you wait till the All Star break. But yeah, yeah. No, I I hope it happens. I don't know. The Reds,
0: the Orioles, either of those would be fun. Cardinals, Cardinals. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I actually want them to get Lizardo. Uh, Talking of which, I'll just go ahead and get into that one. Um, The Marlins, Craig Mish, the, the beat reporter for the Marlins, hinted that a fun trade is coming for the Marlins. Because I guess the Dolphins fans were crying that they lost or whatever. And so he's like, don't worry, turn that frown upside down. A fun trade is coming. And I don't know if he's just being, like, goofy or if he actually meant it. So keep that in mind. Uh, your Tigers, Matt Vierling is the favorite to land the third base job. So I guess Colt Keith, does that mean he's a second baseman? What do you think? Um, I, I think this <laughs> – I don't know.
1: I almost didn't put this in here because I don't know that it really matters. But, yeah, I think it means that – Colt Keith, not all of the young guys are coming up for sure. Definitely. Like, Keith and Young, there's not enough
0: spots to go around. I didn't think think Young was coming up right away anyway. I thought he was probably going to be more like a next year guy.
1: If he, if Colt Keith specifically hits like 340 in spring training, like, they're going to bring him up. Like, just because it's what they're penciling in right now, it's. It's in pencil. It's not
0: in Sharpie. So I don't think it matters a ton. Go in a job, Colt Keith. Yeah, good point. Wander Franco likely banned (laughs) to be banned from the US after there's reports that Wander Franco to face lesser charges in the DR. So it just shows you the difference real quickly. (laughs) Yeah, it just shows you the difference between the governments. It's it's not that bad. I think the the government for the DR, as long as they're getting paid off, they don't really care it's kind of what yeah. it seems like because uh, the evidence quite frankly seems pretty damning against him that has been released like what this girl yeah. has said and like what's going to happen to the mom so it looks like the mom is going to get worse than Wander in DR so I mean, yeah I guess Solicitation, kind of, her mom's yeah. like a pimp more or less and then Wander's soliciting prostitution her. yeah so, that's messed up yeah uh Red Sox might trade Yoshida, which is interesting, but their outfield's pretty crowded because they've got O'Neal. They've got Duran. They've got, uh, Abreu Rafaela. And Rafaela. They've, then they've got Yoshida. So someone's got to, someone's got to, something's got to give there, I guess.
1: They're trying to shed payroll too, and he's pretty expensive.
0: So, yeah. Apparently the White Sox are going to let crochet stretch out and try him a starter. Um, that worked it's out for Michael Kopek, so we'll see. That was a joke. <laughs> Keep K- going. Put Kopek back in the pen. Uh, Rod Blagojevich, no, I'm joking. Rachel, Rachel Balkovich has, be- has agreed to become the Marlins Director of Player Development, so that's pretty cool. You got a woman there. Heim uh, Bloom is basically like John Mozeliak's assistant now in St. Louis which kind of makes sense because the Cardinals, basically they filled their entire bullpen of like Red Sox and Rays guys this offseason with Kittridge and then like all these Red Sox guys that they've picked up. So it kind of makes sense. They're all high bloom guys, I guess. Uh, Imanaga, it's Tuesday and he has to sign by Thursday. That's the deadline for him to sign before he has to go back to Japan. So it sounds like Red Sox and Cubs are in, Giants are out. I guess and they said there's five finalists. I don't if the Giants are out, I don't know who else is in. Red Sox, Cubs, Mets maybe. Yankees.
1: Uh, so. Yankees got to be in after they missed out on Yoshida was Yeah. Back.
0: Well, apparently the Yankees are big the Yankees are well connected to Snell right now. So which, I saw. talk about a volatile rotation <laughs> if you have Snell and Rodon, Rodon in the same rotation. The
1: same, yeah, and then uh, Marcus Stroman wants to sign there so
0: bad and they haven't even called him yet. <laughs> Poor row show. Uh, Solaire might be signing soon. There have been some rumors of Solaire but not to the Marlins. And that ends the news. Let us get to the relief pitchers before my baby wakes up and starts crying in the middle of the podcast. Um, so relievers, we're gonna kill this whole thing. We're not gonna go as far deep as I released on the F scores. If you want to see all the relievers, or you play in really deep reliever leagues like Otteu, where you have to roster five relievers, um, because like in an new league, even a twelve-team new league, everyone you're rostering sixty relievers, or like NLI, you have a bunch of relievers, which is a just a twenty-team league where you want to fill all your relief pitcher spots. So basically, every pitcher's owned. So if you're in a deep league and you need relievers. Then you can go and check out the S-scores once I post them on Friends with Fantasy Benefits. So just keep that in mind. Um, Otherwise, we're going to try to keep this probably more or less to like the closer types. So like the top 35 to 45 or so, we'll keep it to. So first tier Raymond, let me know if you agree with this tier. But I've got Edwin Diaz, number one, (laughs) coming off injury, didn't even play last year. Emmanuel Classe, number two. Devin Williams, number three. And Josh Hader, I have not ranked because he has not signed. So it is possible Hader moves up. He's definitely going to be in this tier wherever he signs. But we'll see, like, where he places in this tier based on once I actually am able to do his F scores. But as far as F scores, uh, Edwin Diaz, just a 152 stuff. Just, just nasty. Everyone knew that the year before his injury was nasty. So all this is ranked. Basically, all his all his F score stuff is being pulled from previous seasons. And then the durability gets hurt because he didn't play at all last year. And he still rates out as number one, even with a 61 or 67 durability. So uh, that's just how good Edwin Diaz is, in my opinion. Class A is more like a run prevention guy than a stuff guy. And then Williams is kind of like in between. We're like Williams has like his control is not the best, but he has really good stuff. Obviously, he's got the airbender um, pretty good at preventing runs because it's hard to make – good contact on a changeup like that. So what do you think of this tier? Like, would you place these guys in the same spot? Is there anyone in this tier that you like other tiers you would move up into this tier? What are your thoughts?
1: I think this is a pretty, I think this is a pretty set it and forget it tier is What I'd call it. Like I, I was kind of surprised that you had Diaz in this tier and I was definitely surprised to see that you had him first. I don't think a lot of people are going to do that coming off a, uh, an injury, but it was a knee injury. wasn't an arm injury. So that's yep. super encouraging. But no, I think these are the four guys who have some I mean, a couple get more strikeouts than others, but they have dominant stuff one way or the other, whether it's strikeouts or run prevention. And <laughs> I don't know. The I kind of wish Diaz and Devin Williams were on better
0: teams, but I don't think it matters. No, I feel like the guys who just get locked in the closer, I mean, like, for instance, let me, let me use a good example here. David Bednar has had, like, 35 saves plus every year of his career, like, since he's been closing, since they finally made him a closer. Because there were a couple of years where he was obviously their best pitcher and they just, like, didn't want to pay him arbitration money, so they didn't let him close. But, like, since he's been closing, he still gets, like, 35 plus saves every year on Pittsburgh so i feel like if you're on a better team can you get more saves yeah like ask K Rod and some of these guys who've had like 50 safe seasons ask cambrel it helps but when you're drafting closers i feel like the main thing you want is you want guys who strike a lot of people out you want guys who are not going to give up home runs and then you want like just someone who's going to be consistently the closer, someone who's locked in and there's not going to be debate about who the man is. You know, those are like the three main things. And all these dudes are definitely the man uh, besides class. A, they all strike a ton of people out. And then they also are good at not giving up homers, which is like class. A's main thing is just like, he doesn't walk people and then he doesn't give up homers. So like, if you do that, you're pretty, you're going to be pretty good at preventing runs. Yeah, and if you, there, nobody is ever on base. When you do give up home runs, they're solo shots. Yep. So second grouping is another four-man tier, and one of these guys actually really surprised me. And I dug in a lot more because I was like, eh, I don't know. Like, when I put his F-scores in, and you'll know who it is when I put the name, but when I put his F-scores in, I was like, wait. I was like, did I fuck that up? <laughs> and I, like, <laughs> I had to go back, and literally I re-looked at everything. When I was entering everything into my calculator basically, and then I was like, no, I was like, he was that good. I went back over all his numbers. I was like, yeah, this is all legit. Like there's nothing hiding here. Um, but you'll know who I'm talking about in a second. So this tier, I've got number five, Pete Fairbanks, six, Andres Munoz, seven, Tanner Scott, da da da, da and eight, Joan Duran. Um all these guys more left less have, like, similar type numbers. Like, their F stuff is all pretty similar across the board. All of them have worse control than the guys in the last tier. And then the uh, FERA numbers, they're a little worse at preventing runs than guys in the last tier. And all of them, their F scores are right around, like, 130 or so. Um, so I kind of think that this tier here, that's, like, the drop-off is the F score is, like, all all these 130 range of F score, whereas like the next tier down are all like 1% range between this one and the next one. So what are your thoughts on this tier, Raymond? My big surprise from this tier
1: was Pete Fairbanks, not Tanner Scott, because he was really good Mm. last year. But Pete Fairbanks is just so brittle that I don't know if I'd feel comfortable taking him over a lot of these guys who have proved to be able to stay healthy, but I mean, relief pitcher in and of itself is a pretty interesting case study for your F scores because durability is already so fluky because you're talking about 60 games rather than 160. And so like, you're making small sample sizes even smaller. But, um, yeah, I think Duval belongs in this tier, I think is the one that is the massive omission for me. And maybe Fairbanks deserves to be down a little a little lower just because, I mean, the Rays didn't do the platoon game that they always do because Fairbanks is so good. It's a testament to him and why you have him so high. But the health really bothers me. So
0: Yeah. I mean he's one of the better relievers in baseball when he's healthy. But I agree, like, yeah, you have to worry about the health. But one of the things this year that we don't have to worry about is I feel like every like the last few years, there've been questions about who the guy is gonna be in Tampa. But I think it's pretty unequivocally Pete Fairbanks when he's healthy at this point.
1: Yeah. I just am always afraid the Rays are gonna. You never know what they're going to do. Like, Just because it's what they did last year, that's not a predictor of what they're going to do next year. So that little shadow of a doubt has me a little worried of drafting him. I mean, the good thing about your scores is you don't have to draft him as your RP6. Like, he's going down around 120. So I'm sure you're going to have a lot of Fairbanks, but it kind of makes me nervous.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to get a good amount of Munoz too because – a lot of people were kind of like down on Munoz at the end of the season after like everyone was pretty high on him coming into last season. It's like riding the wave almost, right? Like all mm-hmm. the hype of Munoz was last year. Now the hype has died off, so you might be able to buy in a bit on him. Dude, so... it's funny.
1: I I always try and tie an ADP because I feel like that's what a lot of people care about. And your ADPs are all over the place for your – your rankings like Edwin Diaz is 67th and then Williams and Hayter in the 40s and then your second tier uh, top three guys are all in the 100s and then Duran's in 84 like you could based on ADP you can just draft whoever you want because you're way ahead of ADP
0: yeah that well that's why I don't look at anybody's rankings like whenever I, I don't look at anyone's rankings or ADP until after I do my own Once I do my own, then I start looking at ADPs and I'm like, okay, where are all my values at? And that's how I do my like sleepers and busts basically, because I'm like, okay, here's where I'm ranked on this guy. And then here's where ADP is because I don't want anyone else's rankings to influence me even like subliminally.
1: It's hard to, especially in this world, we live in where information is so accessible and always in front of you. It's hard to form your own opinion. So I respect that
0: yeah I mean, li- I, like I'll listen to other podcasts, but I won't read content because like I feel like when I read something, it burns into my brain more. and like I can accidentally, yeah, I feel like I could just accidentally like subliminally trick myself more. Whereas when I listen to things, it may affect me a little bit, but it's definitely to like a lesser extent because I'm when I'm listening to podcasts, generally, like I'm doing something else, not just sitting there like intently listening to something. but if you're right. reading, that's what you're doing is you're reading you can't read and do something else like if I'm reading and someone's talking to me, I don't even hear what they're saying, but mm-hmm. like if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm usually either driving or I'm shopping at the you know like in the grocery store or I'm working out or I'm doing something else, so it's just kind of like background it's almost like a little bit of background noise and you hear it, but at the same time it's not like burned into your brain like as if you read so <laughs> yeah, I like struggle
1: a- <laughs> I struggle listening to podcast with a lot of stats in them because i feel like if i'm doing anything else i'm not paying attention so like i want to hear like i won't listen to a sports podcast and work or work out or anything else like even like doing chores it's hard to it's hard to listen so i'll just listen to music and then when i want to pay attention or when i can pay attention i'll listen like driving is when i listen to most of my sports podcasts yeah
0: I mean, numbers too, like the F-scores, that's why I try not to just like bog down with a million numbers. It's better, like I'd rather just give the rankings and why Mm -hmm. things are better than another. Like I might use the F-scores as context on the podcast, but if you actually want to read the F-scores, it's better to go look at it in written form than hear it on a podcast if you want the actual numbers. So the next tier that we have here is a larger tier. It's a six-man tier. We have the number nine closer slash relief pitcher, Evan Phillips. Closer for now until the Dodgers go, you know, defer 100 million. Josh Josh Hader. Hader, Right. Uh, (laughs) And then we've got Ryan Helsley, number 10. Clay Holmes, 11. David Bednar, 12. Rysell Iglesias, 13. And Camilo Doval, 14. And I know you're going to say that I have Doval too low because you already kind of hinted at that. Um, I am concerned about the control, and I have been for a couple of years. Obviously, last year, like he's, it didn't really affect him. And he plays in San Francisco, which is a pitcher's park, so that's going to help. So, like, everyone in this tier has a bit of a concern, right? Like, Phillips could get blocked. The Dodgers could spend more money right. on Phillips. Helsley's concern is nothing else. Always hurt. health, right? Um, Clay Holmes, the Yankees, could also still go do something else because Holmes is almost like a worse version of Class A where his stuff isn't that good, but he's good at preventing runs for some reason, especially in Yankee Stadium, which is hard to do. So he's good at preventing runs, but he's, his stuff is just not that good. Uh, Bednar is really good, but he's on a bad team. Iglesias is getting older and like had his worst year last year. And then Doval is kind of like I said, just like the command. So everyone in this tier has one little concern or another, but they're all still solid bets to close. The majority of the season for their teams uh I really don't see any of these guys not closing on their team or on a team at some point, except for maybe Holmes, so that he or Phillips those are like the two guys that could get blocked. everyone else is like pretty much a solid bet to close. so what are your thoughts on this tier i I agree with
1: pretty much everything you hit the concerns for each of these guys i would be I would be interested to see. Dude, I love David Bednar. Like, I it seems like I I never get a chance to roster him. Um, he's just so underrated. Although his ADP is all the way up to seventy one, so maybe he's not that underrated anymore. Maybe the Pirates can be good, and he can,
0: you know, maybe get thirty five, forty, forty saves. That'd be that'd be sweet. Yeah. Well, I mean, every year there's trade rumors, right? <laughs> it's like every every single year is the signs- trade deadline. It's like, oh, is going to get traded this year. <laughs> he
1: signed an extension, didn't he? Uh,
0: I don't know if he did. I, th- I I'm think he's Google from it. Pittsburgh. I'm pretty sure he's from Pittsburgh, though, or like the Pittsburgh area, I want to say. Um, so that covers 9 through 14. And then the next tier, we have 15 through 18. It's he did not Ryan- sign an extension. He did not. He was talking about it. I think we talked about that on this podcast, that they were, there were negotiations. So number 15, Ryan Presley. Number 16, Jordan Romano, who might be the biggest dropper from my rankings last year. Uh, number 17, Paul Seawald, And number 18, Alexis Diaz. Uh, talk about bad command. Diaz is the only closer or the only reliever we've even talked about so far that has a f F control of under 100. His is 94. So, like, he's just, like, all stuff. And then he, like, as soon as that ball's released, just, like, a quick prayer. That it ends up in the strike zone or that someone swings at it, I feel like, because that's pretty bad control for a reliever, uh, ninety four.
1: So he's not getting swings and misses <laughs> on his slider. Yeah.
0: So the good thing about all these guys is that they should all definitely be the closers again. And that's the difference between this year and last year is we have about like twenty to twenty five guys that are more or less locked in as the closer on their team, whereas like the last I feel like two seasons before this, there was a lot of murkiness. You had like two years ago ten, was really Yeah, you had like bad. yeah, you had like eight to ten guys who you knew were gonna close, and everyone else was like oh, I have no idea. <laughs> like it could be this guy or this guy or this guy, and it's not even like it was it was choice one or choice two. It was like there's five guys on this team who could walk away with saves. So I think that's the good thing about drafting this year is that like you pretty much know who the relievers are, which what that's doing to ADP I don't know. Like you were just saying that some of these guys are in seventies who are usually like a number ten closer on the board. So does that mean because everyone knows who the guys are and there's less potential saves out there that these guys are going to go even higher than before? Instead of like, instead of everyone being like, oh, uh, there's three guys here who are going saves, so I'm just going to get all three of them and like handcuff them. But you don't have handcuffs because all these guys are kind of locked in. So I feel like, I feel like that's going to create scarcity more than anything. Like I feel like it's going to create more scarcity in the relief pitcher market. What do you think about that?
1: That's interesting. Like, you almost need to have one of the studs who gets a ton of strikeouts and a ton of saves to differentiate from everyone having saves. Um, I think that, at least in, like, your home leagues, not your industry leagues, I feel like people just draft on save totals from last year. Um, Or, you know, name value in a new place. But, yeah, you have, like... Uh, Jordan Romano at seventeen has ADP is sixty one. Alexis Diaz is eighty seven. Um, but I feel like you you quantify stuff in a way. I mean, stuff is in quality of pitch. Yeah, like other people don't consider when they're drafting closers.
0: Yeah, dude. Some of the values in older guys like Presley and Seawald are both. Yeah, older I guys. love both
1: of those guys. Presley's one of the
0: guys I was going hi- to highlight.
1: Romano too. Yeah,
0: I feel like if you if you're in a 15 team league and you can pair like a Presley or a Seawald or a Kenley Jansen with one of the upper tier like strikeout types, like if you could, like if you could get one of those guys and like Helsley, that'd be pretty mm-hmm. solid. Something like that. Or if you could get one of those yeah, guys, almost... in Fairbanks. Like, get one of the riskier – like, if you get one of the riskier, like, injury-type guys, like a Helsley or a Fairbanks, who's going to get a ton of Ks, you know they're going to get saved when they're playing, but they might get hurt, Then just put them with one of these old, consistent guys. I think that's the move. Yeah, it's almost like you want, uh,
1: like, one reliever in each gap of 10. Like, get one guy in the top 10, get one guy in the middle, and then maybe take a couple shots
0: late. Yeah, exactly. So the next tier is pretty big, and this next tier is the first tier where we get, like, some potential non-closers. Like, I would say th- that this tier is basically going to be um, – hand- it's, it's more or less, like, young handcuffs or, like, potential handcuffs or major K guys with, like, the back-end closers. Like, the first five or six guys in this tier are going to be closers, and then – there's a bunch of just like young studs who should get like a ton of Ks. And if there's an injury, that's the guy that you would want who could be like an elite closer at some point. So number 19, we have Kenley Jansen, who's locked in as a closer. Even if the Red Sox trade him, whatever team he's going to, he's going to close. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Kenley Jansen is going to be getting saves for some team because there are rumors that Jansen could get traded. Number 20 is Yuki Matsui with the Padres. <clears throat> I know some people were saying that you suck go or whatever his name is. Go suck you with like <laughs> whatever is whatever the hell his name is. Uh, could be the closer. But like this is the thing, is you look at the contracts, it's you suck go, right? Like he signed for like two no, years four million.
1: It's woo, like, it's woo suck go.
0: It's goo. Woo. Woo. Woo suck go. Okay so <laughs> you suck okay. so so we suck go uh that dude signed for like two years four million matsui signed for like five years and 20 million so to me when you're looking at who's gonna get the saves it's like follow the money i know matsui's the lefty blah 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 but this dude was a beast in japan like it makes way more sense for matsui to be the closer and I used the same metrics I did, the same correlation table whenever I was correlating Yamamoto's, Yamamoto's stats. I actually have him, I pushed him down further than the F scores. Like if you look at his F-scores, Raymond, uh, you'll see that he has a yeah. 137 stuff, which
1: he should be up in the basically. Tier. Yeah, yeah, basically
0: like top tier. The command is not the best though, 98, and then a 155 F E R A. And basically that's like doubling his estimated home run totals. Which puts him at a 126 S score. So, like by this F-score, I should have him in like the second tier with like Fairbanks, Munoz, Scott, and Duran. But he's new. And there is this question of who Suck Go and Robert Suarez and all this stuff percolating around the Padres. And with that uncertainty, that pushes him a little lower to me, like below the certain guys like Henley Jansen. So that's why he's there. Um I'll just talk about the the, the relief, the closer types, and then we'll kind of, I'm going to split this tier into like a, a couple mini tiers just for conversation's sake. Uh, 22, Mason Miller, uh, supposed to be in the pen for the athletics. I'd assume he's going to close because he's a friggin' beast. Uh, Ho- Jose Alvarado, I have at 22 here. I'm assuming he's going to close right now for the Phillies because he got saves at the end of last year, and he is really good. But I keep thinking that the Phillies should go get Josh Hader. That would be like the move that could just be dominant for them. That'd be just like an over-the-top type move that the Phillies could make that puts them back up in the same tier as the Braves, I think, if they did that. Um, but otherwise, they've got just some sort of mix of like Hoffman and Alvarado and Kirk Green, who we'll talk about in a little bit here. 23, Jose LeClark looks like he's going to be the closer for the Rangers unless they go get Hayter. Um, Or maybe like if they get like a Jordan Hicks, Jordan Hicks might push LeClerc a little bit. That'd be kind of interesting. Uh, 24, we've got Adbert Alsole, who is pretty much locked in to be the Cubs closer. He was really good last year. I think he pitched above his skis, though. The F-scores say he did. So I'm concerned a little bit about some of the F-scores that came back to me with Alzoleh. Because I actually liked him a little bit better and pushed him down when I got the F-scores back. And then the last guy is Craig Kimbrell, who looks like he's probably going to at least start the year as the Orioles closer. Even though I think Yanir Cano might be better, uh, Cabral is probably going to be the guy to start the year for the O's. So uh, those are kind of like the closers here. I mean, like we saw the Detroit guy who we'll talk about in a second, but I think that's kind of a question mark type situation too, like the Phillies. But I like Alvarado a lot better than the Tigers guy we're going to talk about. So what do you think about this little mini tier here? I have a little bit more faith in Cabral
1: than you do. I think – I think that signing just made so much sense, like um, one year, get an established closer. Um, His ratios aren't going to be what they used to be. Obviously, he's getting old, but the experience and everything else, unless he just implodes, which I don't think is going to happen.
0: I mean, I, dude, he was, I, he was losing saves, though, to Alvarado last year. Aren't you concerned about that? Like, there were like there were stretches where Alvarado was definitely the closer for the Phillies. So, don't you think Cano and Cabral could have some sort of split like that? Maybe. I just
1: think if they're smart, I don't know. I just feel like I've written Cabral off, like, every year for the past five years, and he just always ends up with 30 saves somehow. So... It might be a little messy, the ERA's might be a little inflated, but I think I think he's probably one of the safest guys going this late that you could get. Um,
0: I mean his F scores are actually pretty good. 116, 103, yeah. 116 stuff, 103 control and 112 FERA. That's actually pretty solid. Like it's I, like it's not it's definitely not bad and, it, and it's definitely better than it was last year. Like he definitely he, he I keep saying definitely, but he 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 had a better season in 2023 than he had, I feel like, in a couple of years. So he was trending almost like a bit of a rebound because he was pretty solid last year, but he still only had 23 saves last year because he was playing with Alvarado. So
1: yeah, I just wanted to throw this out there. What if the Dodgers trade for Jansen and Yoshida? How fun would that be?
0: It'd be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be annoying. They don't even really know
1: outfielder. I don't think, but
0: yeah, or or a left-handed bat, but who knows? Yep. So the next group of guys here are more like the type of high strikeout guys. You got a closer type or whatever thrown in here, but uh, number twenty-six, Matt Brash, like he was awesome last year for the Mariners. And that's why the Mariners could afford to trade Seawald, because Brash is so good. Brash, I think, is the best non-closer in baseball, like the best non-closer relief pitcher. He's up. You to disagree it. with that? I just love um,
1: Abner Ribe. I think, I think that title may belong to him. Cano is really good
0: too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I love Brash has amazing stuff. The slider and right Uh, next, number 27, Bruce Dar Gratterall, who could sneak some saves with uh, behind Evan Phillips. He did last year. There were stretches where Phillips was not closing and Gratterall did for a little bit, so that's possible to happen again. Gratterall only has a 91 stuff, though. Like, basically, he has a fastball and then that's it. He has like no breaking pitches, but he is good at limiting content. Like, he has. 127 F control which is insane and a 164 FERA so he's good at like not giving up damage and control and not getting not allowing runners on base but his strikeout stuff isn't that good for someone that throws like 100 Oddly. It's almost like he's a better yeah. version of Jordan Hicks he's like a that's <laughs> what i would say you are so,
1: pretty... oh.
0: So we got, yeah, sorry, I got baby baby cooing here. Uh, Gregory Santos is next, number 28. He is currently slated, I would say, to be the White Sox closer. Um, I mean, it could be Crochet as well. But like we said, Crochet Not might if they're making him a starter. Start. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Santos is <laughs> actually pretty good, kind of an underrated guy that, like, I barely even knew who he was before I started doing these rankings. So keep Gregory Santos in mind. Number 29, Alex Lang. That's your guy. Um, We talked about this a decent amount at the end of the last season. Lang, Foley. What are your thoughts? And then now we've got all these other young guys that are supposed to be starters that might come in as relievers. Like, what happens if they make Sawyer Gibson long a reliever or something like that? Like, what are your thoughts as a Tigers fan on this pen and where these saves are going to come from?
1: I think it'll start out being – Alex Lang, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Foley is getting saves pretty quickly. Um, as far as the young guys, I'm not really worried about um, any of them moving into the closer role. I don't think I don't think that's how they would use those guys. They'd be more of like fill in rotation arms, piggyback starters or whatever. Uh, the one guy I would worry about is Shelby Miller. Um, When they signed him, they have – he said himself he wanted to go somewhere where he could try and work in the back end of the bullpen, and they also wrote in a bunch of incentives for finishing games in his contract. So I wouldn't be surprised if Shelby Shelby Miller ends up at least working into the closer mix. I don't know if he'll get 30 saves or anything, but, yeah. I like fully overlaying.
0: I like fully overlaying, and then, yeah, Miller is my dark horse. Yeah. Next is AJ Minter with the Braves. He snuck some sneeze when uh, Rysel Iglesias was hurt last year. He's been good for a number of years, so always a good pitcher to own, especially if you're just looking for ratios or if you need a handcuff somewhere. Like if you draft Iglesias, I'd probably try to pair Minter with him as like is a nice little handcuff in most leagues. Uh, Thirty-one Scott Barlow. So Barlow looks like he's going to be set a man. Where did he sign? I can't even remember where he signed right now. Off the top of my head. But he uh, I don't know somewhere. either. Hold on. Guardians. Okay, so he's oh, the yeah. Class A backup. Or if, or if the Guardians trade Class A, which apparently they were talking about possibly doing this offseason. So Barlow is the setup guy for Class A. Um, 32, Abner Rebe, your boy. 129 stuff, 91 control, 160 FERA. And then 33, Orion Kirkering, 133 stuff, 105 control, 144 FERA. I feel like Uribe and Kirkering are a lot of fun. Like, if something happens to Williams or the Brewers decide to trade Williams, like, if the Brewers at the deadline are bad and they trade Corbin Burns and Devin Williams, then Uribe is probably the guy. And then the Phillies, like Kirkering, if – Kirkering to just dominate and close. Like, they might – Say okay, Alvarado's our lefty closer, and then Kirkering's our righty closer. Even Kirkering is is that good of a prospect coming up as a reliever. So those two guys talk about dark horses. The thing is, like people know them. I feel like a lot like people. Who, if you were paying attention at the end of last year, you know who Kirkering is and you know who Uribe is at this point. A lot of people weren't though. You know, when football starts and. Yeah, welcome fantasy football people. Those are your guys, Abner Uribe or Ryan Kirkring. And then, like,
1: I would say unless, like, while those guys were playing, they were actively getting saves, they – yeah, they don't – I wouldn't say they'd be on the radar. Not to sell anybody short, but (laughs) –
0: So this next tier, there's a couple guys who should get saves at the beginning of the year. And then there's a bunch of guys who – all right. Nice strikeout type guys, setup guys, if you're in holds leagues. So I'm just going to kind of blow through them and then let you pick anyone you want to talk about. 34, Kyle Finnegan should close for the Nationals, but they suck. Uh, 35, yeah. Yannir Cano could split saves with Kimbrell, I think, for the Orioles. He did last year with Felix Bautista. Uh, 36, Will Smith should be the Royals closer. Uh, World Series, always World Series champion Will Smith. Number 37, Eric Swanson, setup guy for the Jays. If Romano fumbles, Swanson was really good the last couple of years. Uh, same thing, Jason Adam. If you, if uh, Fairbanks has issues, Jason Adam would be the fallback guy for the Rays. 39, Gio Gallegos. Like I said, I, think if, I don't think he's getting saves. I think if someone's getting saves besides Helsley, it's going to be Kittredge. That's just my gut. So Gallegos, though, for holds leagues, he'll probably get a lot of holds, and he's going to get good ratios. Uh, 40, Chris Martin with the Red Sox. Kind of the same situation as Gallegos, but Red Sox version. Gallegos is better for Ks. Martin is better for preventing runs because Gallegos does give up a lot of homers. Uh, Brian Abreu, same thing with the Astros. Then you've got Hector Neris, Aroldis, Chapman, and Jordan Hicks all unsigned. Chapman and Hicks. I would say could play in a safe situation somewhere. They've both been closers before, obviously. Naris, probably not a closer, but could be a high-leverage guy at the back of a bullpen if you need holds. Griffin Jacks, good setup guy for the twins. Kevin Ginkle, good setup guy for the D-backs. If something happens to Seawald, he's probably the handcuff. Suarez, Robert Suarez, like I said, with the Padres, that situation's a little up in the air. So Suarez is a guy to watch. James MacArthur for the Royals. I think this is a guy that could eventually take Will Smith's closing job. He was really good down the stretch last year. So James MacArthur, a name to watch. Matt Strom was awesome for the Phillies. I just don't know. what is he going to start? Is he going to be a reliever? Like, what are they going to do with him? Um, This is like a Sparpy type play here in Strom. He's not going to close. He's not going to get you saves, but he will probably be – Provide you some sort of sparp or reverse sparp, as I like to call like guys who are relievers, but they start in sub leagues where you can't, where you have a limit on starters. You can like reverse sparp him. So Strom, pretty good for that. Um, and then Prelander Baroa is a name I like. One thirty-two F stuff here for the Mariners. Prelander Baroa, a good sparpy type candidate here. And then Alex Vesea with the Dodgers is kind of like their number three guy has been for a number of years. And John McMillan is another guy with the Royals that could really bounce One thirty three F stuff. So John McMillan and James MacArthur, I know they kind of sound the same cause they're both mix like MacArthur and McMillan. So how the hell are you going to remember like, that? But sounds like presidents. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with the mix. So that is that tier right there of just like guys that I think that can still help out in a lot of leagues. Do you, Anyone here stand out to you or anyone you want to talk about in this tier?
1: I just wanted to bring up, like, if we're going to talk about Sparps, we should mention that Cole Reagans is probably Sparp eligible in your league. So he would be, I don't know, if you're going by relief pitcher eligible players, he'd be up in the top tier.
0: Yeah, Michael Um, King and Cole Reagans are definitely the Sparps of the year this year. Kyle Finnegan is –
1: useful in deep leagues that only count saves but he's so frustrating to own with the the blow-ups and the high array he gets love cano love a um always had a special place in my heart for robert suarez um and then alex Vesia, i like but i think he is just gonna get buried on that depth chart like they're gonna add another bullpen arm they are the dodgers i just think that's a foregone conclusion so, no, this is a good, this is a good tier. And this is probably where like 12 team leagues relevance drops out. I would yeah. say like, once you get like, I don't know, maybe halfway through this tier or all the way through it, like it's probably, probably out of the player pool for 12 team leagues.
0: Yeah. I, like I said, it for anyone else, for like deeper leagues, check out the article once it's up. Uh, once we once i start posting everything on friends of fantasy benefits i'll give um, you a
1: plug here i read the 150 prospects article on fantasy pros it looks clean
0: dude that's you look all official and stuff thanks i appreciate that <laughs> they have, at fantasy pros they have editors so the welsh actually like whenever i was on the welsh's podcast he was like dude i'm at, i'm going to be a fantasy pros now and he's like i think you'd be a really good fit and he's like i want to introduce you to the team so i started talking to some of the people there and then, uh, so writing over there, uh, yeah, they've got editors. Friends with Fantasy Benefits. I'm my own editor, and sometimes when you stare at something too long, especially yeah. that dude, that is literally it, that is a 54 page Google Doc. I've <laughs> that seen that article. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, so that's a 54 page Google Doc. So when you're reading 54 pages and you're going and staring at these names and watching video and stuff like your eyes tend to glaze over time and things there are things you can miss. So it's good to have an editor. Um, but thank you for reading that. Yeah. So if you want to check out the top 150 prospects, that's over on fantasy pros. That's probably what we're going to be podcasting about the next few podcasts here before we come back around and get into uh major draft season and start hammering into these positions. And I don't want to focus. Like I'm going to, what, what I want to do this year is we're not going to just read up scores and give off rankings we've already done that we're going to do position debates so when we do our positional um our positional rankings moving forward through the year it's going to be more like debate style of v- who's value in each tier who's not value what you like what you don't like it's going to be it's gonna, we're going to debate some guys and really dig in more than just giving the numbers and the ranking we're going to dig in on some guys and why we think they're better or why we're high on them or who are low on them so that is going to be the goal moving forward this year. Raymond, I need a Raymond to hit me with one.
1: Oh, crap. I didn't realize we were this close to the end. Um, I think I have one. I just started like scrolling through Twitter and uh, bookmarking things that I think, oh, yeah, I got a good Michael Brantley one. Um, so Michael Brantley retired, if you guys didn't know that. Uh, Michael Brantley played 15 MLB seasons. He struck out looking 210 times. 62 of those times came on pitches that were out of the zone. One of the most elite eyes this game has ever
0: seen in Michael Brantley. That's cool. So, that means Stephen Kwan or Michael Brantley? I mean, like, obviously Michael Brantley's career is done, but are they, like, kind of the same? Michael Brantley. (laughs) That means he struck out
1: 148 times looking. That means he struck out less than 10 times looking per season.
0: Luis Arias or Michael
1: Brantley? That will be close. The okay. Brantley was definitely more athletic in his prime, but like Arias on base tool is so elite. But like in terms of fantasy, like it'll be Brantley, no, no questions asked.
0: Dude, can you believe that Luis Arrias is only twenty six years old? Yes. I was doing my dynasty rankings the other day, and I forgot how young he is like to me i I was thinking he was like twenty eight or twenty nine or something, but he's only twenty six that's yeah, that's exciting, yeah, that indeed it is all right, well, that's it, unless you got anything else, Raymond I
1: saw a hilarious like race flow chart by this guy on Twitter. I retweeted if you want to go look that up, it's absolutely hysterical about how like. They just, like, sign some guy nobody's ever heard of, turn him into a short-side platoon, and then trade him to somebody else just year after year after year. it's It takes a little while to digest and read it all, but it's absolutely hysterical.
0: I feel like trading with the Rays is just like signing your own death warrant. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, trading with the Rays usually does not
1: turn out well. I thought about that when the, the Rays or the Cardinals just traded the Rays another outfielder, right? Like what if that guy turns into Rosa point
0: 2.0? It could. I mean, how many times have we seen it? Lane Thomas or all this or Adolis Garcia. It's just like the Cardinals need to be they need to trade all these outfielders at a better time. You, they got to time it up better because the thing is like if they were really timed it up well, then they would be selling them at the peak, but what they're doing is they sell the guys either too early or too late. Like, Tyler O'Neill, too late. But some of these other guys, way too early. So they got to figure out, like, if you're going to be an out, just an outfield uh, factory, then you got to find out when, when to move on from some of the guys.
1: Right. And that's the yeah. thing about, like, GMs. Like, some are good at, like, identifying talent and developing talent, but they're not good at, you know, the transactional side of it. Like, it's, it's tough.
0: Yeah. Like, but it, well, I was going to say Preller, but even then, I don't know. He's actually pretty good at which prospects to get rid of. He's mm-hmm. been pretty good about that. The only one I feel like the only one he's traded even in the last few years that he really didn't want to trade is like James Wood. <laughs> I feel like all these other guys he he he's just like, "Okay, whatever."
1: <laughs> CJ Abrams, I think he might regret a little bit, but yeah. Yep.
0: All right. That's Peace. it. Yep, we'll Thanks see you next us, time man. on the Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Follow us, subscribe at Fantasy Ace Ball on X for me, at Raymond Atherton on X for Raymond. And we'll see you next time for Prospects. Of course, right when we sign off, Shota Imanaga <laughs> signs with the Chicago Cubs. There are currently no terms, no years, no money. Gabe is so happy in such a happy place. What do you think about Imanaga and the Cubs, Raymond. I think Cubs fans aren't going to murder their front office
1: anymore. They finally, they're the last team to make a MLB transaction in the offseason. And they, they preach patience
0: all year and finally pulled the trigger. It's a pretty big one. Dude, I think that they've been really into trying to add to their Japanese talent. Like, kind of the rumors were that they were in on Otani, they were in on Yamamoto, and then now Imanaga. So they got their guy. Um, Now it looks like they're going to be focusing on Bellinger, trying to bring Bellinger back. So if they can get Bellinger back now too, that'd be pretty sick. And then... Uh, also besides that, the Red Sox who are highly in on Imanaga, um, maybe Montgomery Snell, you might have, you might have a Yankees and Red Sox Snell off here. What do you think? Well, the
1: Red Sox have said they don't have any money to spend. So like, is it really going to be a bidding war or anything? Like, I feel like they're not going to be able to compete if any of those guys want to sign soon because the Red Sox have said they have to shed payroll. Huh? But I was yeah. going to bring up like who this boots out of the Chicago starting rotation, but it's nobody important. <laughs> so it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not going to be Hendricks. It'll probably be just be the young, you know, it'll, it's just going to be end up being the young guys, whoever the young guys are going to be were going to take Keegan spot. Thompson or whoever was going to get that fist. Jordan spot. Wicks. I think Jordan uh-huh. Wicks probably was the guy. So, or like ben, that Jordan Wicks, Ben Brown combo, whatever, whatever they were going to do there. I think right. it's going to be that spot. Or maybe Javier Assad moves to the bullpen. Now Assad was pretty good down the stretch though. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. But,
1: I mean, nobody gets through, this is something to keep in mind. Nobody gets through a season with five starters. So, you have to have yep. eight, eight or
0: nine guys that you can
1: you know, rely on for some innings.
0: Yeah. True story. Okay. Well, that's it. Just wanted to jump back on and talk a little Shota Imanaga. I like his name. That's a cool name. Shota. Shota. Sounds like <laughs> a samurai.
1: I'm glad he signed, though. I'm glad this is over and on Tuesday and not Thursday.
0: Yeah. Now, nah, okay. It's funny because now everyone's on the Twitter X machine saying – Oh, now the market can finally start moving. Literally, that happens every signing. Every
1: single signing.
0: Now the market (laughs) can start moving. Yep, now it's going to really start moving, guys. I promise.